Well, go ahead and have a seat. Welcome to Village Church. This is your first time here. My name is Steve, I'm one of the pastors here at Village Church, and as always, I am thankful and grateful to see each and every one of you. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it to Matthew 19. Uh, we'll be finishing that chapter today. Last week, we took a look at the narrative of the rich man that was searching for eternal life. Jesus confronted him with his self-righteousness and dependence on his own personal gain to find salvation. And that man walked away disappointed. He was sorrowful for his great possessions, and he was not willing to submit to his need for what Jesus had to offer in his righteousness and in his salvation. This man wanted to gain salvation by his own works because ultimately he wanted to be his own God. And to close Matthew 19, that narrative is vital because Jesus turns the life of this rich man into a teachable moment for his disciples. He teaches them why putting the focus on how much you can attain in this world can actually cause you to be blind to your need for salvation. Jesus points out that it is all about reward. You either treasure the reward of God and all that he promises to give, or you treasure all that this world has to offer. Those are the only two options that any of us have. And the issue is that you can only imagine and perceive the treasure oftentimes that is right in front of your face. And that is why so many struggle to see the great reward of following Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. They don't understand the reality of an eternal God offering an eternal reward that could be better than something that this world has to offer. And Jesus actually explains in this narrative to his disciples that while it is difficult, all things are possible where God is concerned. He is going to work salvation into the lives of many, many people. And he's going to tell us that the life of faith is worth any sacrifice that it will cause you to need to make from understanding the fleeting nature of material gain to the confidence that comes from having a personal relationship with the God of the universe to investing your life in the eternal reward that God is offering to you through the gospel of His Son, Jesus Christ. The fact of the matter is that only Christians can understand the real value of God's reward. And so I want to begin reading. As soon as the rich young man had walked away, Jesus said to His disciples in verse 23, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, See, we've left everything and we followed you. What then will we have? And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or even lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. First thing that I want you to understand in this passage is that God can save anyone. God can save anyone. And He uses the temptation 
that the rich man had in his life that he failed to repent of to show his ability to save even people who are struggling in sin, even people who are struggling with idolatry. This man refused to follow Jesus and he turns to his disciples and he says, this is evidence that I want you to understand that it is difficult for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of heaven. He then calls it the kingdom of God. And in that culture, they did not use the proper name for God because they did not think that they were worthy of it. But the term for heaven was often used to refer to God. And so don't get confused when he interchangeably uses kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God. Those are synonyms. They mean literally the same thing. But the disciples were baffled by Jesus' statement of the difficulty for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of heaven. They had equated material gain with the blessing of God. And so they're confused. They equate anything that you get in this material world, any financial gain, any material gain, they equate it with, okay, this is a blessing of God. And Jesus is now telling us that those very things that we point to as a blessing of God can actually hinder us from attaining the salvation that we know that we need. But they thought that their salvation was evidenced in their material gain. So there's a tension there. There's a difficulty there that Jesus is pointing us to, and it's a difficulty that all of us in our culture struggle with as well. We're not so far removed from this idea that the disciples are struggling with. Because when I look at my house, it was cold last night, and I was very thankful for heat. I got in a car this morning, in my truck. I was very thankful for my truck. Men who drive F-150s need to be thankful that we are a little better than most. That's a core value in my life, maybe not yours. And all the F-150 drivers said, Amen. I got in and I said, Thank you, Lord, that my truck started, that the heater worked, that it got me where I'm going. And so everything that I have in my life, materially speaking, is there because God gave it to me. God blessed me with it. He's not the Lord of non-material things. He's also the Lord of everything materially in my life. But he's also looking at his disciples and saying, the very things that are blessings in your life, be careful or they will become a curse in your life. When the gifts that God gives you in your life become a replacement for God himself, that's when it becomes idolatry. That's when it becomes a false god. God does not give us gifts so that we will worship the gifts. God gives us those gifts so that we will see beyond them to the Lord that provides them. And so he warns his disciples, it's very difficult for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And the disciples had never considered that this could be a temptation in their lives. This great tension is something that every one of us struggle with. And the disciples sum this up with a questioning statement. And it's a logical question. Who then can be saved? Who then can be saved? Because when you consider that God might call you to walk away from all of the material blessings in your life, when you consider the difficulty that it would be to say, I have much and the Lord is calling me to walk away from every one of those blessings, 
That would be a difficult choice to make. We have to admit that. And that is why God uses the example. He says, it is more difficult for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God than it would be for the camel to walk through the eye of a needle. Now, historically speaking, many of us look at that and we try to explain it away. We'll say, well, actually, the needle's eye was this small door in Palestine, and it was really tough for a camel to get through that small door. But if you strategize just right, that's not what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is being very hyperbolic. He's talking about the eye of a needle. I don't know if you've seen the eye of a needle, but no camel's getting through that. I don't even know if I can get a thread through without my glasses on, all right? He's talking about the eye of a real needle in this passage, and Jesus is saying, that's how difficult this is. It is impossible with man. Why? Because of sin. Because we are sinners. We're sinners. Even for those of us that would look at someone and say they have so much less than I have, whatever that person has runs the temptation in their lives of captivating their very heart. It doesn't matter if you have a 4,000 square foot house or a 500 square foot house. Walking away from that, if God would call you to do it, would be very difficult. And Jesus says, this world will captivate your heart. And once that has happened, there is nothing you can do to undo that sin. He says, you are a sinner. You will not be able to walk away any more than that rich young man would be able to walk away. And so the disciples look to Jesus and say, well, then we're in deep trouble. Uh, you know, we know through the narrative that Peter had a house. And Peter's looking at this and he's thinking, oh, I don't want to walk away from my house. I like having a roof over my head. I like having heat in the summer. I like even more having air excuse me, heat in the winter. I like even more having air conditioning in the summer. So who can earn such a great salvation? And that's Jesus's point. Even with all the temptation in our lives, we all think that we need to be strong enough to walk away. And Jesus looks at us and says, you underestimate your weakness. You can't do this. Stop depending on yourself. Remember last week, we looked at the rich young man and we said it was his self-righteousness that was the problem. It was not his riches. And Jesus is making that very same point to his disciples. You will never be able to pull this off. Which is why it's good news when Jesus says, what's impossible with man is not impossible with him. God can save anyone that he wants to save. But we have to be careful that we desire the salvation of God and His reward more than we value anything in this world. In Revelation chapter 3, this is a series of God speaking to seven different historical churches. And He looks at one particular church, the church at Laodicea. And many of us are familiar with this, but we're not familiar with why they had the problem of being lukewarm. In verse 16, it says, So because you are lukewarm, you are neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. And so we use that and we say, be on fire for God or he's going to spit you out of his mouth. If you're lukewarm, he's going to spit you out of his mouth. But why were they lukewarm? Look at the next text. For you say what? I am rich. I have prospered and I need nothing. Laodicea was at a particular place 
near a mountain range and the water that flowed down from that mountain went through a lot of different rivers and valleys and it picked up lots of rich minerals. And so by the time it came off of the hot springs and before it got into the cool water, it landed in Laodicea and they would use it for the nutrients. They were a place where there would be hot springs, there would be spas, there would be treatments for different diseases because of the minerals that they had. And because of that, most of the people in Laodicea were materially rich, according to that culture. And Jesus looks to that church and says, you've missed it. You think that you are righteous because of your material gain. You think that your righteousness is all bound up in the riches that you possess, but actually it's causing you to misplace your worship. So you are not on fire for God. You are not cold away from God. You are just stagnant. The water in Laodicea, even though it was used to make them rich, it was undrinkable. They would have to spit it out because it's just too nutrient rich. It was like Florida water. I don't know if you've ever drank water in Florida, but it's terrible because of uh, certain uh, things that are in the dirt in Florida. But Jesus looks to this church and he says, you're depending on your great wealth to show your righteousness. You're not depending on God for it. Note what he says about them. You think you need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Jesus looks at them and says that their wealth had killed their passion for God to the extent where he calls them the very thing that they were trying to avoid. He says, in God's eyes, you are poor because you're not depending on him. In God's eyes, you are wretched because they weren't worshiping him. They valued their earthly treasures more than they valued the God that they claimed to worship. They were faking their worship while actually worshiping their great wealth. Wealth can be a tempting false God. This is exactly why Jesus focuses on the difficulty. For many of us that are driven to create, for many of us that are driven to build things with our lives, we struggle with the idea that there's something that we can't do for ourselves. We struggle with the idea that we can't save ourselves, that there's no righteousness that makes us more worthy than other people because of what we gain, because of what we produce. But Jesus makes it clear to his disciples, yes, it is difficult, but God is going to invade the lives of even the rich with salvation. Jesus makes it clear that he is the God of Job 42.2. When Job finally begins to repent of his self-righteousness, he looks to God and he says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. None of God's purposes can be stopped by anyone or any force. God will save whoever he wants to save. That's why rich people can be saved. That's why poor people can be saved because it is God who saves. It is not us who saves ourselves. There's no one out of reach from the poorest of slums in this world to the penthouse suites and mansions. The grace of God is the great equalizer. You are not more righteous than someone because of how much you have, nor are you more righteous than someone because of how less you have. You are only righteous if God makes you righteous through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. You must realize that every one of us has great need where God is concerned. 
Every one of us is pitiable. Every one of us is poor. Every one of us is wretched. We all need the grace of Jesus Christ in our lives. But the good news is that nothing is impossible with God. Number two this morning, I want you to understand that saving faith gives confidence in Jesus. I love that throughout the gospel narratives, Peter is always the first one to respond. And what's fascinating is Peter puts his foot in his mouth so often that we just assume that every time Peter speaks up, he's saying the wrong thing. And so it's very tempting to look at what Peter says in this passage and look at it and be like, you idiot. But actually, we shouldn't speak up too soon because Jesus doesn't rebuke Peter in this passage. Many people miss this fact. But look at what Peter says in verse 27. It says, then Peter said in reply to what Jesus has just said, see, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you in the new world, when the son of man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. I want to stop right there. Peter makes the statement that he's done this and Peter, excuse me, and Jesus doesn't look back in Peter and say, no, you haven't. Jesus looks back at Peter and says, you will have a reward. It's very interesting that most people focus on a self-loathing where faith in Jesus Christ is concerned, that you're supposed to have a continuous self-loathing. You're supposed to walk around with your head down. Nowadays, they're calling it being gentle and lowly. And they say that, you know, you know you're supposed to be a less than person if you have faith in Jesus Christ. Oh, I'm such a wretched sinner. Oh, but by the grace of God. Is that what Peter does right here? Well, don't get me wrong. You're a wretched sinner. But you are saved by a wonderful grace if you follow Jesus Christ. Peter proclaims with confidence, Jesus, we've done it. We've seen it. We've experienced it. What is our reward? And Jesus says, great will be your reward, Peter. When you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you no longer need to walk in shame. You no longer need to carry your guilt. You no longer need to have this self-loathing as though you are still a sinner on your way to hell. When you come to faith in Jesus Christ, there should be a joyous celebratory lifestyle that follows it that says, I was a sinner, but now I am a Christian. To heaven gates, I am walking. I've been saved by Jesus Christ. That's the confidence that Peter has in this passage. God wants us to know that we are saved. He has not designed a Christianity in which you are condemned even after you come to faith in Jesus Christ to carry doubt to your grave, to carry loathing, to carry guilt, to carry shame, to carry sorrow. You are to live as though the righteousness of Christ is something that has been given into your life and that will create a life of confidence that no matter what happens in this world, guess what? We will win. Because the grace of God is better than you could ever imagine it to be. I want you to focus on two things about Peter's confidence. First is that Peter had confidence, but then secondly, what Peter's confidence was actually in. 
How does the follower of Jesus have such great confidence like Peter did in this passage in something that so many in this world deny is real or deny is true? That is why it is important to understand that salvation is the work of God, not the work of man. I want you to note in Titus 3, 5, that the Apostle Paul states that God saved us by His mercy through the regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. It says that God saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but because of His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So it's fascinating. He bookends it with almost the same statement. He says, God saved us, and He did it by the power of God. It's this total view of salvation so that you will never get confused as to what the source of salvation is. It is God who starts it, it is God who completes it, and it is God who keeps it going. It is never your hand. It is never something that you do for yourself. This is the root of confidence. This is not a reason for you to have self-loathing. This is a reason for you to actually have confidence. Since I didn't do it, I can't mess it up. John MacArthur has once said that if you could lose your salvation, you would. You would almost immediately. That's why it is such good news that salvation is not and will never be dependent on you. And because of that, I can have great confidence. I can be as bold as Peter was in this passage. And that is where you need to start. So if you are a person that struggles with doubt, this is the root of your confidence. Salvation is never bound up in your righteousness. It's always about God's righteousness. I can have rock-solid confidence that I am a Christian because I know God is trustworthy. Because I know God is more than capable. God has done the work so that I can be saved. Then he continued the work so that I could be saved. And he will bring this work to completion. I will endure in my faith, not because of any ability that I have, but because of the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. And the passage says we are regenerated to a new hope. Note the two terms regeneration and renewal in this passage from Titus. There's something going on in the life of a Christian that people who are not Christians simply will never understand. There is a Holy Spirit that has made me brand new and is still working within me that is not working within the life of someone who does not believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's how John 3 puts it. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Note that. Unless someone is born again. What is that? That is regeneration. That is the renewal of the Holy Spirit. If you don't have those two things, you can never see the kingdom of God. And I think there's a duality there. First, you will not see the kingdom of God in the future. You will not experience the physical reality of the kingdom of God in the future. But there's a second thing that's going on there too. You will not know it in this life either. In the heart of every Christian, the Holy Spirit ministers to you, assuring you of the coming kingdom of heaven and allowing you to see it through certain experiences in this life. 
when you have a prayer answered, when you see someone come to faith in Jesus Christ, when you understand the Word of God when you're, uh, when, you're, when you're reading it, when you receive something through the life of the church that opens your eyes to the reality of the work of God in your life, that is the testimony of the kingdom of God in the life of a believer right here and right now. But I also want you to see, secondly, what this confidence specifically that Peter had was in. In verse 28, Jesus, in Matthew 19, 28, Jesus uses the term new world. Here's what he says. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man comes, you will also sit on the 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. What is this new world that Jesus is speaking of? Well, the term is actually polygenesia, which actually means, and here's what I want you to understand, regeneration or renewal. In the original language, what he's saying in this passage to his disciples is the very work that the Holy Spirit has done to save you, has done to make you born again, has done to regenerate you, God is going to ultimately do to the entire world. So what's my point? The work that God has done in saving me, He regenerated me, He renewed me to faith in Jesus to follow Him, God is going to do to every part of creation so that His kingdom will rule forever and ever. So the confidence that Peter expresses here is a confidence that God has done a work to save me, to give me new life, to give me joy, to no matter what I'm enduring, no matter how I feel, no matter how much I hurt, no matter how tired I am, I know that I'm entering into the kingdom of heaven. God has also guaranteed me that that is going to pay off big time because I'm going to experience this very world that I'm in perfected. There will come a day where there will be no more pain. There will come a day where there will be no more sorrow, where there will be nothing but joy. And the cross of Jesus Christ guarantees it. And Jesus looks to his disciples and says, the confidence that you're experiencing, the joy that you're experiencing, the renewal that you are experiencing, there's going to come a day where God's going to make the entire creation experience that for his followers. Number three this morning, God promises great reward for his Christians. God promises great reward for Christians. I want to be very clear. That word Christian is vital. God does not promise this reward to everyone. God does not promise renewal. God does not promise restoration. God does not promise regeneration to everyone. He promises it only to Christians. The only way that you can have this hope is if you come to faith in Jesus Christ. If you repent of your sin and turn to follow Jesus, that is the passageway to the kingdom of heaven. Jesus makes a great promise in this passage that there is no one that sacrifices. And he uses two phrases here. There is no one that sacrifices for his kingdom that will not receive a hundredfold and eternal life. Note that it's both. It's not just immortality. Like we said last week, 
that could be miserable. <laughs> Eternal life isn't worth it if it's not fun. I think some kids struggle to understand heaven. Because you tell them, we're going to see Jesus face to face. And I think some kids have this picture that we're all just standing there looking. And the kids, they have to ask themselves, well, what's next? <laughs> well, what, do we, what do we get to do? We don't have a perfected picture because I think God realizes we can't handle it in our limited capacities. That's why this promise of Jesus is so vital because what he's looking at is he's saying that when you walk away from something that you consider gain, he's not saying when you walk away from something that you weren't that interested in, in the first place, it's going to be better. No, he's looking at it and saying that there are people who are going to enter the kingdom of God that had to walk away from homes. There are people who are going to enter into the kingdom of God who had their families abandon them because of their faith. There are people who are going to enter the kingdom of God that suffered greatly and walked away from physical ease and physical comfort and they suffered in this world. There are people who have sacrificed sacrifice real things because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And Jesus looks to his disciples and says, it doesn't matter what you walk away from, what I have to offer you is a hundred times better than anything you walked away from. So what is the kingdom of heaven going to be? Better, 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 significantly better than anything in this world that you are tempted to look at and say, I want that more than God. If you will walk away from that thing and at least hold it with an open hand and say, the minute Jesus calls me to give this thing up, I'll do it. Jesus says, he's going to make it worth your time. But he says, it's more than that. It's more than that. Because it's going to be better forever. It'll never end. Pure joy, pure pleasure, pure wonder, pure everything. The kingdom of heaven takes everything that is wrong and makes it right forever. The question remains, what reward do you want? See, that's the ultimate question. If you do not want the reward of God, if you do not read this passage and say, Just call me, Lord, I'll give it up right now. Like Isaiah and Isaiah 6, Lord, here I am, send me. Whatever I have to walk away from, whatever I have to endure, whatever I have to pursue, I'll do it. You're better. I understand that in the services that I'm preaching this morning that there are people sitting in this crowd that think about that and you don't want it. You don't want it. You don't understand it. You look at the things of this world and you say, they're good. I like them. I can't imagine anything better than the gain of this world. That's a place, but that's a wrong place. Your valuation is off. But I also understand that the only way you are ever going to change your mind is if the Holy Spirit invades your life because it is impossible for you to get it with your own eyes, but it is not impossible for Jesus to break through and make you get it. And so keep coming. But I'll tell you, it's risky because the more you come and sit here, even if you don't get the reward, you give God opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to make you get it. 
And I pray every single day of every single week that you will get it. I don't know if many of you who are followers of Jesus have been paying attention, but there are many in this world that just flat out reject the kingdom of God. We don't understand that. It's hard to grasp how you could not want better, but there are many who reject it. There are many who even go further and make all kinds of accusations about how followers of Jesus are somehow making the world worse. And quite frankly, that's exactly what Jesus is talking about here. He's looking at the disciples who are living a life in which all of their kinsmen are looking at them and saying, are you crazy for following Jesus? He's going to get you killed. And which Jesus says, yeah, but it's kind of worth it. Because it's better. The world may reject Jesus, which then will lead to it rejecting the followers of Jesus. But there is a confidence that Jesus gives that guarantees reward to the extent that he tells his disciples, and there's coming a day where you will be their judge. Jesus says, don't worry about what they say. They have no chance at winning. Jesus reigns and the gospel will triumph. Friends, you have to understand that Jesus makes his guarantee that he is going to reward all those who treasure him. Note what Jesus said earlier in Matthew 6, 33. He makes the command. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and God's righteousness and all these other things. This is what the original language says. All these other things. It'll be added to you. Don't worry. Don't fret. Jesus says that right after. He says, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious what you're going to eat. Don't be anxious of whether or not you're going to have clothes. Don't be anxious about the struggles that you have in your life. God will take care of you. Seek his kingdom. Seek his righteousness. All these other things will be added to you. And here's the reality. If you follow Jesus, he will supply every single need that you have by his definition. And some of those things will happen in this life. As should be quite obvious to you, I have not missed a meal. <laughs> I've not gone hungry. I've trusted the Lord, and He has provided. Like I said, I have a heater in my house. I had to replace our entire system last August. That was painful. I don't know if you've ever had to do that, but they expect a big check when they're done. They don't give it to you out of the kindness of their hearts. God provided. God's provided every one of my needs. But I'll tell you, even if God says you don't need that, which could happen, God can say, walk away from that. Walk away from ease, walk away from leisure, walk away from comfort, go somewhere where they don't have all the blessings of Western civilization, reach them with the gospel. If God called me to do that, he still says all these things will be added to you. All these things. If not in this life, in the one that is to come. You see, the significant difference between Christians and non-Christians is Christians know that this material world does not write the whole story. That there is an eternity on the other side that God is going to give us forever. We must trust Him enough to command us what to do and how to do it. We must trust that He is greater. We must trust that He is Lord. One of my favorite passages of Scripture, which I know for some of you is becoming completely meaningless because I say it all the time. 
but truly one of my favorite passages of Scripture and has been for years since the first time I read the book of Revelation is Revelation 21, 1 through 6. And I just want to read it to you because this is coming. This is the future. The apostle John is writing and he says, then I saw. What a blessing. He saw it in this life. I've not seen it. John did. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. First heaven, first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem. It was coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things they've passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Regeneration. Renewal. Also, he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it's done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give the spring of water of life without payment. I truly believe from a human perspective, the most important words in that passage are the last two. Without payment. You'll never earn it. You'll never be righteous enough for it. But he's such a good God that he wants to give that to you anyway. Won't you trust him? Won't you give your life to Jesus Christ? Don't you want to be with him forever? Friends, there is nothing in this world that will be better than that. A few application points. First, since it is God who saves, God can save anyone. You may think that you are out of reach. You are not. You may think that your sin is too much. You may look at me and say, but you don't know the things that I've done. You don't know the thoughts that I have. God does. And He offers you Faith in His Son, Jesus Christ, anyway. He offers you pure forgiveness. Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin. Personalize that. Secondly, live confidently in your salvation. Live confidently. Don't carry shame and guilt that Jesus already paid the penalty for. Don't carry around a loathsome attitude when you have the very righteousness of Jesus Christ. Number three, have hope for the future because Jesus is reigning. Jesus is reigning. No matter what happens, no matter who's in charge, no matter what this world looks like, understand Jesus has them right where He wants them. He will win. Fourthly, pursue the reward of God. Pursue it. The things of this earth can captivate us. But they're never going to be better than what God has to offer. Give your life to Jesus Christ. Every Sunday we reflect on what's called the Lord's Supper. Somewhere around where you are sitting should be a packet that has bread in the top portion and a cup with juice in the bottom portion. 
When you eat and when you drink, you proclaim to everyone that is around you, everyone in this room, you say, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I've trusted in him as Lord and Savior. I've forsaken my sins. I believe in Jesus Christ. Friend, if you're in here today and you don't have that salvation, friend, I do not want you to walk out of here in that condition. I want you to know that no matter where you're from, no matter what you've done, Jesus Christ can save you right here and right now. More than that, He wants to. If you'll just believe that He is the Son of God, that He paid the penalty for your sin on the cross, and that He rose from the dead physically three days later to give you a new life, He will save you. Just call out to Him. Say, Jesus, I believe you. Please save me from my sin. Jesus, I believe you. Please save me from my sin. That's the beginning of a conversation that's going to go on for the rest of your life. But if you pray that in faith, here's the deal. He promises that he will save you and that he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. For those of you in this room that are Christians, eat, drink, proclaim your faith in the King. <laughs>